Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Uh, hello, welcome to Commons People, the Huffington Post politics podcast. I'm Ned Simon. Uh, Owen Bennett is away. I'm joined by Paul Wall, Martha Gill and Aubrey Allegretti. Uh, first up, Brexit. Um, MPs debated this week whether or not they should be given a vote on the final terms of Brexit. Here's a clip of Nick Clegg having a pop at Tory MPs. I could always rely on them to marry their loathing of the European Union to their passion for the traditions and prerogatives of this House. That was their, that was their raison d'etre, that they hated Brussels as much as they loved the House of Commons. They still hate Brussels, but they now appear to be completely tongue-tied completely mute, silent, when they have an opportunity to speak up for the traditional prerogatives of this House. So, Paul, there's a lot of Tory MPs, the kind of awkward Remainer squad, who aren't happy with the idea that there's no more vote, they don't get to decide or have a say in what, what happens when we negotiate our exit. And um, where are we at with this now? What's the sort of current state of play? Well, I think the, the, the overwhelming uh, mood this week in Parliament was one of... Uh, slight shock that this was really all going to happen after all. Mm. Um, anyone who went to the Tory conference wouldn't be that shocked because, you know, you, you saw lots and lots of speeches. But when you all the MPs gathered and they're in Parliament and they were sitting there and they're thinking, right, what's going to happen next with Brexit? I think the penny dropped and so did the pound. Um, oh, the, the, the penny <laughs> finally <laughs> dropped. We'll cut that bit out. <laughs> the penny finally dropped to everybody. This thing is going to happen. Now, how it happens is the next question. The fact that it is going to happen, we are going to leave, we are ceasing to be members of the European Union, most people have sort of come to terms with. But a lot of people, as you say, including a hardcore of Tory backbenchers, mm. um, are determined that Parliament will have a say over the terms of whatever deal we get. Now, there's a big, long, convoluted argument whether or not MPs should get a say before Article 50 is mm. triggered. Personally, I don't think that's going to happen. The government's not going to shift. People will be a bit upset, but there's no means for them to stop it happening. Prerogative powers are just that. The royal prerogative is going to be used by Theresa May, and Article 50 will be triggered. That's going to happen. It is quite interesting, though, as Clegg made the point there, that all these sort of Brexit Tories who spent years talking about how important Parliament is and how, you know, they have Parliament has to be given a say, must be given a vote, particularly David Davis. Now they changed their minds completely. Yeah, well, that's why I think um, Clegg's speech was impressive because it, it really rammed home that point. You know, he's for years been ridiculed by people like mm. Peter Bone and, and Bill, Bill Cash about, you know, how uh, Parliament is all that matters. Um, and Peter Bone wasn't even there for that, <laughs> that speech when Clegg made it. David Davis certainly was and tried to excuse himself. People like Rhys Mogg, though, you know, again, someone who's made a name mm. as a sort of constitutional sort of stickler. Um, he had all sorts of uh, lame excuses to why Parliament shouldn't have a say over this. And it, it, Clegg made a very valid point, which is that this just shows this was really about ideology rather than Parliament first. And another thing that also happened today was Nicola Sturgeon, it's SNP conference this, this weekend, um, and she came out and gave a speech today about a possible second referendum. Um, Aubrey, you were watching her. What's what she said? Because I wasn't paying attention. 
Um, so essentially, she's announced a, consult- a consultation document um, that's going to be put out later next week that will set out exactly how she wants uh, the new independence model, as she sees it, to replace the one that was rejected by uh, 45% to 55 uh, in 2014. So she was appearing at SNP conference today. Um, she was with uh, Angus Robertson, her newly elected deputy leader of the SNP. And, you know, it went down very, very well. There were huge cheers, rapturous applause. Um, it's very, very popular policy. You know, with the SNP and the SNP members, it's always been known that they were pushing for independence. And it's just been a case of what will the time frame be? How will it happen? So essentially today's news is the starting gun being fired on an official second referendum. So it's pretty big news as far as Brexit yeah, goes. Yeah, it's not sort of unexpected, is it? We've been waiting for when when it was going to happen. And I suppose one thing I think is they can make this about being a kind of a, a, an independence vote. Now it can be a pro-EU vote, can't it? Yeah. Rather, I than, mean, a, rather than an anti-Britain vote. And the you know, possibly the, the pro-European Union vote in Scotland is, is higher than the pro-independence vote. That's the gamble, perhaps. I think, yeah. isn't it, that Sturgeon's making, which is that, you know, let's get this going, certainly to appease the party, because I think if she'd not gone to that conference and, and given something mm. concrete about what was going to happen in independence, it, there would have been a bit of a backwash. The very fact that Angus Robertson was being challenged for that deputy leader role um, by uh, Tommy Shepherd suggests that, you know, there is a little bit of discontent, a little bit of sort of dissent within the SNP ranks, that they're not all robots, as everyone portrays them, that some are really, really keen, like Donny, Tommy Shepard, let's get on and do this independence thing. Um, that suggests that she had to do what she did today. But the the jury is still out as to whether or not there can be an overwhelming majority for independence. And she's a canny politician, Sturgeon. I think she's going to do it at her own pace. Wait till the opinion polls really mm. tick up. It, see how badly Brexit goes south of the border and just pick it off from there. Okay, we'll move on now to uh, PMQs. It was first promises question since conference season. Um, here's a clip of Jeremy Corbyn having some fun laying into Theresa May about the idea of getting foreign companies, or rather companies, to list foreign workers. I am most grateful to the over 300,000 people that voted for me to become the leader of my party. <laughs> Mr Speaker, is rather more than voted for her to become leader of her party. Um, she, seems to be, she seems to be slightly unaware of what's going on. First, first, the Home Secretary... First, Mr Speaker, the Home Secretary briefed that companies would be named and shamed. The Education Secretary clarified that data would only be kept by government. And yesterday, Number 10 said it was for consultation. And the Home Secretary clarified the whole matter by saying it's one of the tools we're going to use. This government has no answers, Mr Speaker, just gimmicks and scapegoats. Yesterday, we learnt that pregnant women will be forced to hand over their passports at NHS hospitals. No ultrasound without photographic ID. Heavily pregnant women sent home on icy roads to get a passport. Are these really the actions of a country where it doesn't matter where you were born? So, Jez, you're having quite a good time. Martha, um, is, he, is he getting better at this? I mean, this seems to be maybe two in a row. He's been not terrible. Yeah, you're right. There have been two PMQs <laughs> at which he has not been terrible. Uh, we'll have to we'll have to see how he does in the next few. But but yeah, he really did t- seem to get his claws into Theresa May this time, and she uh, she struggled 
to kind of uh, t- to combat it. Um, of course, she this is a weak point like grammars because she's trying to avoid questions and avoid being pinned down on Brexit at the moment. Um, I think the most noticeable thing about that PMQs is when she uh, when she dodged a question from Angela Eagle, which is whether there'd be whether there'd be a vote. Um, and and she refused to say that, so that suggests that we're sort of getting towards there not being one. Yeah, it's interesting actually. We talked about Angus Robertson. Then he asked two questions about Brexit, and she just said, basically said, "I'm not going to answer it again." So mm. didn't even bother to kind of fudge an answer. Just said, I, "That was difficult." Basically, I don't want to. Well, I don't want to go over it again. It's when you mentioned Angela Eagle, kind of she popped up behind Corbyn. Um, now there's been this Labour reshuffle, Paul. Um, where are we now? So he's brought back quite a few names that quit. Is, well, are yeah. they unified again or is it just a temporary ceasefire? What what are we I, seeing? I think it's probably a long-term ceasefire. Uh, certainly medium-term, that's for sure. The, the message from all the backbenchers and that I'm, I've been talking to is that the, you know there's no mood for a fight. There's no mood for you know yet another attempt to get rid of him. There really isn't... Um, but having said that, I was at the PLP on Monday outside it doing my duty and there were several questions, tough questions for Jeremy Corbyn at the in, within the mm. walls of uh, Committee Room 14 where MPs were worried about his links to the Socialist Worker Party. They were worried about momentum activating sort of deselection campaigns locally. So there's still tensions, there's no question. That, but the really surprising thing is that when Jeremy Corbyn arrived at that meeting on Monday, within a few minutes there were these huge whoops and cheers and we all thinking, my God, the PLP have really <laughs> have changed. They really have swallowed the Kool-Aid. Conference What's going on? <laughs> but it turns out that all those whoops and cheers were because uh, the new cello chief whip, Nick Brown, had paid tribute to his predecessor, Rosie Winterton, who'd been fired. And as soon as Rosie's name was said, then all the cheers started. So that gives you an indication of just how much further he's got to go in winning over the PLP. Having said that, the, you know, people are, have, have made an accommodation. People have come back, as you say. There's been a series of people. Uh, Keir Starmer, who made quite an impressive mm. debut this week in the in the Brexit debate on Monday. Lawyer, as IDS called him. Yeah, IDS <laughs> called him a second-rate lawyer, and he batted it away quite smoothly, and IDS had to re- withdraw it a few days later. Starmer was very, very good. He's in many ways the pick of the bunch of the returnees, as they were called. And not a few, uh, more than a few Labour backbenchers were thinking, oh God, this guy, you know, maybe the future one day, one day. He sounds the part, he looks the part, he sounds reasonable. Having said that, he's got to he's got to up his game in terms of the politics. You know, the, the Commons is not a courtroom. You can't simply behave like a lawyer. And I think he's slowly learning the tricks of the trade. He's getting there because he's a smart guy. But, you know, as we found out this week, you've got to have some some hit so back are we looking now in terms of any you know because we might be could because things were so bad for labor there's a danger of saying because it's not a total disaster moment everything's great but are we thinking that any kind of future challenge to corbyn is now off the cards until the election that I, down the well road. certainly that at least for a couple of years i, mean, I think I mean, for a couple of years if if they do badly you know in by-elections if they do badly in local elections even that won't dislodge corbyn given the massive second mandate he had it's going to take something extraordinary to have another leadership challenge and it wasn't exactly you know this reshuffle wasn't kind of some massive unifying moment particularly I and mean, one ex-shadow cabinet minister said to me when i asked her you know was this the famous olive branch he promised and she said you know not at all yeah i mean he fired Win- Winterton, which was kind of a, an absolute yeah. him. That was a statement, know, taking, of intent. a statement that of intent. It really yeah. was. And it showed he's doing it on his own terms. No shadow cabinet elections yet. So a lot of this is very much on his own terms. 
but it's interesting that he's he's got so he's got a, a sort of a shadow cabinet on his own terms. It's a year since he was elected. It's taken him a year to get to this point. Um, so I wonder if this is this is him kind of f- finally changing his leadership style, uh, putting aside the kind of gentler politics. Not that anyone ever believed in that, but but r- becoming a much more forceful uh, head of of the uh, of the shadow cabinet. Well, I think that's why the coup really really boosted him. It helped him. It, it couldn't mm. have wished for anything better in a way because if he'd just been limping along in the same way they had previously, with lots of shadow cabinet men- ministers briefing us and everyone else and and Labour. MPs making noises off, then that could have just continued yeah. and rumbled on. But because he felt that they had the coup, he had a chance to reimpose his authority with a massive landslide. Now, to be honest, much of the PLP is impotent. There's no way they could challenge him. And a lot of the shadow cabinet have to fall into line. And it's helped him because he and people like John McDonnell can impose their former politics on the party from the top down. Um, it's it's slightly like um, <laughs> Tony Blair in a way, who did his own form of coup, you might say, in the parliamentary Labour mm. Party. You know, there was a hardcore of Blairites who a lot of the old Labour types, you know, even those on the centre right of the Labour Party were wary of Tony Blair when he first arrived. But he imposed himself. Um, it, it's taken Corbyn a bit longer, but we're getting there now. And that you're seeing what a Corbyn Labour Party looks like. I think probably it's time for the quiz. There is a quiz. Um, sorry to Owen because it's probably much worse than his terrible attempts you're either going to love this or hate this um, the quiz is called Marmite or Marnot <laughs> so, uh, what this quiz is so Unilever has been dispute with Tesco because of Brexit so they're not stocking lots of their products um, some of these products are Unilever products which you can't get them in Tesco's now because they're running out some aren't at all so if it is a Unilever product Marmite Nobody ah. is rushing to buy Marmite. If it's <laughs> if it's not, Marnot. Marnot, get you. Okay. So is I can't believe it's not butter or brie. Is this Marmite or Marnot? I'm gonna go with Marmite. I'm gonna say Marnot. It doesn't sound like Unilever brand to me. Martha. I'm gonna go with Marmite as well. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Oh, it is. yes. It is. Well done. Absolutely. Okay, how about Tresemme? That's not Theresa May. That's the <laughs> Tresemme, the, the, the shampoo. The shampoo. Yeah. Uh, Marnot. I don't think that's right. This is tough. This is tougher than anything Owen's ever done. So I, I expect better. So... Got a higher no, bar. No, Marnot. I'm going with Marnot too. No, Marmite. Oh. Okay. Um, Doritos. They're not Unilever. They're definitely not. Are they Kraft or someone? Or I'm, I'm going to go they for... They seem too cool, don't they? The adverts are very too like, confident. trendy. Uh, I'm going to go I, Marnot. I agree with that. I buy a lot of Doritos and I haven't seen the Unilever, <laughs> I haven't seen the Unilever logo. I also buy a lot of Doritos, but I don't often check the logo. So I'll probably just go with the crowd and go with Marnot. Yeah, that's not. It's Phew. not Unilever at all. Thank okay, and I'll do one more. Um, Imperial Leather Soap. Oh, I think that is Marmite. Yeah, I'll back mm. that Marmite. Yeah, I think I'll go for that. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Tricky. That that that's, uh, that's the quickest uh, one we all decided yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. Stitch you up with that one. Okay, that was ridiculous. So um, <laughs> let's move on to um, Boris Johnson this morning was in front of the Foreign Affairs Committee to talk about Russia and Brexit. I think it was his first appearance yesterday in the Commons as Foreign Secretary where he, at his diplomatic best, suggested that people protest outside the Russian embassy 
Uh, here's a clip of that. I would certainly like to see demonstrations outside the Russian embassy uh, against what is... Where is the Stop the War coalition at the moment? Where are they? And... And... Uh, uh, and... Uh, I believe that it's up to us in the government to show a lead. So, Martha, was this, was this Boris being kind of gaff Boris? Or was it a deliberate attempt, do you think, to sort of up the pressure a bit on Russia over what's happening in Syria? Well, after he appeared at this uh, select committee, he, he, he kind of reiterated what he'd said earlier, mm. despite the fact that in the interim, Russia had uh, come back and called his, his comments shameful and, and kind of made a fuss about it. Uh, so this suggests that, that in fact, this is, um, this is sort, of a, a sig- a sort of a statement on his part mm. that, you know, a line should be drawn, and he used yeah. the he used the option also to, to, to uh, the, the time to bash um, uh, stop the war as well over yeah. over their lack of <laughs> protest. Um, so so yes, I think that falls in with his opinion, um, which he stated, which was that 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 Russia and um, mm. Iran were also to blame. It's quite odd, though, isn't it, to kind of call for people to protest outside someone else's embassy? Is that it is very strange, and there's no it's no surprise that John Soares, the former head of MI6 this week, mm. rightly made the point that in 2011, you know, the Iranian regime said, we don't like Britain, so let's have some protests against the British embassy in Tehran. That ended up with a mob storming the embassy, or trying to. So, you know, people... in Former senior positions, as well as current senior positions in Whitehall, were slightly nervous about this whole idea of, you know, government-backed protests. It's not a very British thing to mm. do. However, I could see why Boris took the bait. Is because Anne Cluid, um, who's been a long campaigner for, you know, Kurdish rights and um, an opponent of, of dictatorial regimes in the Middle East, uh, raised this idea because she says, you know, it, it is a disgrace that people like Stop the War always campaign against, you know, military intervention in Iraq, even if it's a good thing in her opinion. So she she set up that that um, yeah. Aunt Sally and um, Boris just completely bought it. And you've got to say that Boris at times, and we saw this today in the select committee, it's as if he just forgets that he's got this job of <laughs> foreign secretary. He's no longer a backbencher. He's no longer mayor of London, free to just say whatever he says. The whole point of being foreign secretary is that every single syllable, every th- word he says matters because it will be sent across the world. And it's no surprise that the Russian embassy started trolling him on Twitter. This fact that they, you know, sent out this warning about you know, beware of malicious clowns in Britain. <laughs> that we, we, we kind of knew what they're up to. And, uh, you know, let's see. Let's see how it pans out. What's clear from today is that Boris wants something to happen in Syria. Yeah. And he's very serious about that. And he's putting pressure on number 10 to try and at least look at all the military options and li- other, other diplomatic options, if there aren't any. Um, and I have to say that that's the, that's the more serious Boris that you saw today in between the sort of you know the headline well that's the thing because him being serious there was just to kind of go on a sidetrack on boris at this committee martha when he kind of accidentally massively disagreed with theresa may didn't he what yeah i mean he was in the front row of theresa may's speech at conference uh listening to her say uh as was reported widely that citizens of the world Artists of nowhere, she was there bashing kind of remainers and elites mm. who don't understand ordinary Britons. Um, but when asked if he was, as the Prime Minister has said, Boris, a citizen <laughs> of the world, uh, he totally agreed with it and he said that he was. And it seemed very surprised that Theresa May disagreed with it. Um, so yeah, he's 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 very gaff. 
Interesting. That suggested to me that Boris just wasn't listening during yeah. the yeah. He, he, he listened to the joke she made about him and then just switched off yeah, and thought, he's, she's mentioned me now. Yeah. So <laughs> and then a... just started looking up at the rafters in, in Birmingham. I'd and say... It just suggests that he, he and you're tuned out yeah. because you would not have walked into the well, elevant track. John Kerry's over on um, Sunday for a summit on Syria. I hope he's sort of paying attention to him rather than just... It's just extraordinary. Well, that's why I think the the whole... You know, the, the Syrian statement and the Russian protest statement. What's interesting about it is really this is Boris, in a way, trying to use the public pronouncements to put pressure on mm. um, what, what he's doing privately, which is putting pressure on number 10 to say, look, we've got to do something more. I, I think personally, as with the Russian protest idea, when number 10 refused to slap him down and they just said, well, well there's lots of options available for pressuring. Mm. We agree putting pressure on the Russians generally. They said the same thing about the whole idea of a no-fly zone, um, that you know, that there's a range of options open to us. It sounds to me like number 10 disagree with Boris but do not want to be seen to humiliate him in public because obviously that would be a much bigger story not just Particularly here on but a overseas diplomatic level thing Absolutely. about Russia, Syria Jeez. rather than a kind of more domestic exactly. you, don't want, you don't want Moscow to get that message and I mean this morning one person turned up to protest outside the <laughs> yeah. Russian embassy so that suggests that Boris doesn't have the same pulling powers like the Iranian government when so I, th- I think they probably and the Russian embassy worried. tweeted that picture yeah. <laughs> yeah, we well, should also mention in this kind of discussion of Russia what um, Labour managed to do so after that kind of successful in a way pmqs for corbyn immediately a bit of an issue where jeremy corbyn's spokesman said that any kind of focus on uh, russian atrocities in syria were a diversion from american atrocities in in syria now that was quite a strange thing for the leader of the labor party without him his spokesman to say paul i think you were well, there yeah when, when what was curious was after premises questions every week there are there are two rival huddles as we call them which is sort of little mini press conferences with reporters outside the chamber brie was there for the first time this week you would have um uh, seen this from the distance that what happens is that we then talk about we do a sort of deconstruction of the pmqs mm. with uh, number 10 and then we talk to um, the opposite number for Jeremy Corbyn. What's normal is that we only refer to both of them as spokespeople. And that's exactly what we did, despite the fact that um, Jeremy Corbyn's spokesman said some quite interesting things afterwards. He made a point. It wasn't a gaffe. It wasn't a slip. It's his worldview that, you know, we shouldn't be unfair to Russia, that, you know, we should look at American atrocities in Syria just as as much and possibly even protest to get outside the American embassy and the Iranian embassy. So he's making a serious point. But we didn't, we decided not to name him. However, overnight, Pravda did name (laughs) Seamus Milne, and they quoted him quite favourably in their report of this saying, Seamus Milne, Jeremy Corbyn's spokesman, who happened to be uh, a former columnist on The Guardian, um, has been the guy who's defended Russia to the British press. And so... As a result, Seamus Milne, the spin doctor, becomes the story. That's why he was also in the Daily Mail. He's named in lots of places. Yeah. Lots of Labour MPs obviously weren't very happy about this. There's no question. Brendan Cox, Joe Cox's widower, mm. made his feelings plain on Twitter. Yet, despite that, we, because we talked about this earlier, we're in a new situation with the Labour Party. Despite the fact that lots of MPs disagree fundamentally with what their leader and his spokesman are saying about Russia, and this is a sort of form of appeasement to, mm. you know, the, the Russian dictatorship, there's nothing they can do about it. I, I talked to an MP this morning who said, you know, 
a few months ago, we would have made a big fuss about that publicly, but why Why bother now? I think it's interesting, John Woodcock, who's a Labour MP, who's no fan of Jeremy Corbyn, and did speak to Sky News about why he thought what his spokesman had said was wrong. But he went on Twitter afterwards to vocally say, I know this wasn't Jeremy, this was his spokesman, this was Mill. He, he went out of his way to make a distinction. I think beforehand, before the coup, he probably wouldn't have done that and probably wouldn't have bothered to make that distinction. Yeah. Now yeah. I think they, there was, I thought it was an interesting subtlety from John Woodcock, who definitely doesn't waste time in, yeah. in laying into Jeremy Corbyn. Well, does it, it does underline their impotence, the PLP, yeah. that they can't do anything about Jeremy Corbyn, and they know it. So they can mutter, they can grumble, but it's not going to make it a blind yeah. bit of difference. Where it will get more heated for them is in the next general election campaign. And you can bet your bottom dollar that every single one of these utterances has been logged by Conservative yeah. Party <laughs> HQ. Right from the beginning, Tories have been making sure that they've drafted uh, fake posters about Corbyn and the National Anthem, you know, Corbyn and Trident. And this is just another one, you know, Corbyn, the Putin appeaser. You can just see right now that Sarch and Sarch are going to be working overload, overtime on, on all that stuff. And that's what Labour MPs really worry about. So I think we'll talk about utterances. I think we'll uh, leave you all guys with um, a clip of Donald Trump, because remember, the American election is less than a month away now. Obviously, uh, under pressure from allegations of sexual assault, his, tr- his polls aren't doing that well. I think the kind of Huffington Post polling estimate gives Hillary Clinton a 90% chance of winning. Now, he's been written off a lot of times before, Donald, so you don't want to kind of count your chickens. But uh, here's a clip of him laying into his big enemies. That's not Clinton. That's the Republican Party, including the most senior elected Republican senator. See you later. Already, the Republican nominee has a massive, a massive disadvantage. And especially when you have the leaders not putting their weight behind the people. Wouldn't you think that Paul Ryan would call and say, good going? In front of just about the largest audience for a second night debate in the history of the country. So, you know, you'd think that they'd say, great going, Don. Let's go. Let's beat this crook. She's a crook. Let's beat her. We got to stop it. No, he doesn't do that. There's a whole deal going on there. So, I mean, you know, there's a whole deal going on. We're going to figure it out. I always figure things out.